I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who take big pieces of wood and make them smaller. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, welcome to Wood Talk number 287 for December 14th, 2015. On today's show, we're talking about determining finish on an old trim, uh, on some old trim, fire-resistant projects, and bandsaw cut quality. All that and more coming up, but first, let's thank a very generous donor, James Murchison. Thank you so much. James actually went to woodtalkshow.com, and he looked over in that side column, and he clicked something. And it was something that sent us some money, and we appreciate when people do that. So <laughs> might have been by accident. Could have appreciated anyway. Looking at the number, it may have been an accident. Are you sure you meant to send that much? Uh, but we appreciate it, James. Thank you so much. And uh, hey, while you're there, check out the giveaway, and uh, you could be in the running to win a T-shirt or something like that. I don't know what the current one is. Uh, maybe I need to talk to Nicole. Maybe there is no current one. Oh, she said there's no current one. Disregard that which I just said. And uh, don't go there. Just go to TWW store. Oh, don't go there either. It's closed. All right. So everything's all screwed up here. <laughs> Basically, just just ignore everything I just said. I'm just going to stop talking now. But I'm just going to get into the show. Yes. And you know what? Speaking of getting into the show, we're going to introduce a third host today, another guest host. I don't, I don't know what's in the water. We are really knocking it out of the park lately with uh, with he, guest he's hosts. He's over in the corner doing his stretches. He's getting <laughs> ready. ready. Calisthenics. Uh, you know him. You love him. He's the only uh, guy that you like to watch woodwork drunk. And that would be oh. David Pachuto, the man himself from DrunkenWoodworker.com. Welcome to the show, David. Hello, how you doing? Very, very well. Thanks for being here. And just to give you an idea, you know, if you don't know David already, he has a wonderful YouTube channel, Make Something, and has great build videos as well as, um, is it a weekly feature now that you're you're basically reviewing things that you found online and cool videos that you've come across? Uh, right now it's a bi-weekly show okay all right good uh also david is a recent uh had a recently published book called the new bandsaw box we'll put a link in the show notes you can get that at amazon um but i hope the the book is doing well for you at this point it's doing really well they're getting ready to do a second print run so sweet yeah 
Yeah, very good. So you can pick that up at Amazon and uh, support a you know a, a local maker. You know, the, I always talk about this where we're not folks that come from the blogging and podcasting environment. It's kind of a huge deal when when they get recognized by a publishing company and have the ability to dip their toes into some like you know older media type things. I think it's really cool when it happens. Um, so I haven't read it yet. I'm looking forward to checking it out. All right, let's go into what's on the bench. Uh, for me, not really that much. It's again between projects, so I don't have a whole lot going on there. But I've been filming a new shop talk shop talk segment that is basically, you know, kind of what's been going on in the shop, but then I, I kind of lock into one viewer question that comes in and use the video format to explain my answer. And a lot of times I just like steal these right from my emails. Uh, so I try to do something that's, that would lend itself well to that format. Um, and that's going to allow me to put out more frequent shows, which is something I've been really, really needing to do. Um, and in between my shop talk segments, I've been playing a lot of fallout four, uh, just because that's important, right? Priorities. priorities. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and last thing I finally published, I mean, I mentioned it on the show before the whole festival thing. And I put up a post in the wood talk forum, right? Uh, I decided I needed to go a little, you know, higher level than that. It had to be on the, the main wood whisperer website because I kept getting too many questions about it. So my final words on that topic, you could read them at the wood whisperer website. It's what happened with Festool. And once again, it's just not that interesting, but some people care. Uh, in fact, I, I posted it on Facebook <laughs> with that caveat, like not really sure anyone cares about this, but here's the link. And I basically took my server down. <laughs> ridiculous you know but i guess it, people love drama you know even though there is none there <laughs> they think there might be so they go and check it out you know no, basically no. everyone reads that article with the vh1 behind the music theme like running in their head <laughs> expecting scandal or expecting cocaine yeah exactly you know? it's just really not that interesting but uh, but it's there and i feel better because now i can point people to that and they can read it well the way the vh1 dramas work uh behind the music is there's success then there's the failure, yeah. and then there's the band reuniting at the end. Yeah. So I don't know if the story is completely written yet, Mark. I'm, I'm, well, I'm on my uphill phase there's, there's a Love Boat appearance in there somewhere, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely do for my rejuvenation here. So, uh, But that's it for me. Shannon, what about you? Uh, I'm still being Santa's little helper, making Christmas presents and stuff. Nice. Uh, finishing up those pencil boxes I talked about last time. Interestingly enough, um, while the little peg idea that I used, I was using worked out okay, I went ahead and made one just using stopped grooves, just, mm-hmm. you know, grabbed a chisel and went to town and honestly didn't like save that much time <laughs> by, by <laughs> just plowing the groove all the way through. Yeah. I was just kind of curious. It was one of those things where, you know, when I was able to plow the groove, I was able to just do like one piece and then cut it into the various sides. Um, the other way, I just went ahead and cut it into the various sides. And since the box is so small, you know, it was like 30 seconds per groove, pr- yeah, right. frankly. Just chop it out, follow it up with a router plane, and I was done. So, I don't know. Um, I will probably, because I know that there's no holes that were plugged, uh, unconsciously like the other box the best. <laughs> of course. But you really can't tell. Um, so, it, we're, we're getting there. Now I'm... Uh, I'm sitting on my lathe, pedaling away, turning the stuff. Nice. We've actually got a kickback concerning the plugs and things that you mentioned before uh, that pertains to that. So we'll hear that later. Well, okay then. Okay then. David, what you doing? Uh, I don't have a shop right now. My shop is being renovated and waterproofed. We're Mm. hoping to sell the house next year. And so we're getting some basement waterproofing done. And so... My basement's divided into two halves. There's the shop side, which everything is in one big pile covered with tarps. And then the band room side, which everything is in one big pile covered with tarps. So um, 
uh, basement crew came in, did waterproofing, and we got a new sub pump, new dehumidifier. And so while everything is torn down, uh, I am tearing down one of the rooms in there that was used for storage mm-hmm. that's taking up shop space. Uh, I tore, I'm tearing that down, and then I'm building off that room on the other side of the basement where the shop isn't, and then sectioning off and adding new walls to the band room and the laundry room. So I will have a bigger shop when it's all done. It'll be less wet. It nice. should look pretty nice. So so this is uh, some lemonade from lemons, I'm assuming. Cause, exactly. Because yeah. you guys had, you had a flooding issue in the basement, right? No flooding issue. We had a sewer issue, un- totally unrelated. Okay, all right. And um, and then the, the the sewer issue just happened to be bad timing because <laughs> right. we already had this like ten thousand dollar basement renovation planned, and then yeah. a five thousand dollar sewer issue came up. So we're like, Ugh, what do well, we do? So, and is there ever really a good time for a sewer incident? No, no, no. <laughs> well, cool, man. That sounds right that after sounds you awesome. sell the house. That's yeah, yeah, that would exactly. be the ideal time, right? Well, very cool. That sounds awesome. Um, let's get into what's new. Hey, David, remind yeah, me to catch up with you offline about the waterproofing thing because it's something I need to get done. So, Oh, yeah, sure. You can listen to the latest Making It podcast if you want more details. There you oh, go. Oh, that's true. It's in my, uh, it's in my podcast app. I, I just haven't gotten to it yet. I just heard that on the way back from lunch. So oh, nice. It's there. Oh, uh, yeah. By the way, David does a podcast called Making It. We'll uh, we'll mention that at the end of the show, too. But uh, he's no stranger to the uh, audio podcast format. So, all right. Let's get into what's new. Uh, I've got one here um, that I found earlier today. It's just a fun little turned Christmas tree ornament with some basic gilding that's been done by uh, Paul Jenkins. And we'll embed the YouTube video in the show notes. But it's a lot of fun. Very festive. Very simple. Little easy to make ornament. You could probably knock a bunch of these out in a day if you wanted to. Um, but I just love those little things that you can make for the holidays. That's cool. Yeah. I like that. Um, Well, you know, in the social media sphere, we're always very conscious of not self-promoting stuff, but dang it, this is, this is, well, it's not entirely my show, but it's my show. So I'm just (laughs) going to throw out a little plug. I'm doing something new, about to launch something new at the hand tool school called apprenticeship. And it's still very new. I'm mostly just teasing. I'm kind of playing the whole star Wars force awakens thing and trying to create more speculation than fact. You need more Um, wookies. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping that basically in some dark, dusty corner of a forum somewhere, there's like two guys talking about, you know, whether or not I've gone to the dark side or, right. or, or what. But yeah, uh, hand tool school apprenticeship, let's just say it's something I've wanted to do since I started it five years ago. Uh, it's a, kind of a much more personalized uh, way of, of teaching. So if you're at all interested and just want to kind of jump on the email list to get updates as they come out, just head to handtoolschool.net slash apprenticeship. And there's a little uh, form there that you can use. I'm going to be very disappointed if this turns out to be you simply like move to Maryland and just come and work in your shop. <laughs> yeah. No, I wouldn't uh, <laughs> wish that all on anybody to have them move here. So. Yeah. Here's the good news. It's an actual do, apprenticeship. <laughs> yeah, we can do a house swap and I'll go where you are and you can come to Maryland. That's right. Fine. Yeah, exactly. All right, David, I think you got the next one. All right. I found this article on Colossal.com called Twisted Tree Branches Fused with Ornate Picture Frames by Daryl Cox. And so what Daryl is doing is he's obviously an artist, maybe a woodworker as well, but he take these, takes these old picture frames and then like maybe cuts them in half or cuts a corner off and then takes these natural tree branches and infuses it into the frame. And they're really cool looking. It's wow. not just like taking tree branches and gluing it to a frame. It kind of looks like the two kind of melt into each other. 
and it's just crazy beautiful. Yeah, because wow. he, he continues the, the detailed carving into the the driftwood or the branch or whatever it is. So it looks like it just kind of melted into it. Yeah. Damn, that's awesome. Yeah. Wow. And he perfectly replicates the look on it, too. I mean, that's that is amazing work. I've never seen anything like that. Oh, good stuff. That's a good one. I uh, like this a lot. See, it's funny because when I first read it, I was thinking like something I saw at Michael's craft store where <laughs> somebody took a stick and glued it to a frame. This is a little bit different. Yeah, he's he, he's putting a little bit more time into it. Than yeah, that. a little bit more effort. Ooh, those are nice. <laughs> All right. Uh, Curtis Buchanan, the uh, Windsor chair maker extraordinaire, he has yet another set of plans available. The loopback chair uh, are those plans are now up and for sale on his site. And the reason I bring this up is uh, I've never really been like a big plan type person, but Windsors are one of those things where they've got very specific splay angles and rake angles that really create the look. And there's always been this like incredible just vacuum of information on Windsor chair design. The only way you could really do it is go and take a class with, you know, Michael Dunbar or somebody like that. And they basically have all the jigs and everything and you just go for it. Mm-hmm. And recently we've seen people like uh, Peter Galbert and Curtis Buchanan and putting out these plans. And these are really top notch, um, you know, uh, chair templates with that are made out of clear plastic mylar. So you can lay it over and you can lay out the topography and everything. It's just, it's really well done. It's the way, um, it's the way woodworking plans should be done. So go check it out. Nice. Very good. If you can't tell, I, I have a few of them. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, all right, let's move into kickback. Got actually two voicemail kickbacks here to play right at the uh, beginning here. One from our good buddy, Diami. Gentlemen, this is Diami from PenultimateWoodshop.com, EMWA. I'm just listening to episode 286 about the white on poly discussion, and I figured I would perpetuate the discussion because who can ever have enough poly? Um, I did mix my own white bond poly out of the big box store min wax and some mineral spirits for the recent um, skateboard I made. I've uh, been posting about it, and it came out wonderful, and I think that may be my new preferred white bond uh, application. I've been using the uh, general finishes and absolutely no complaints about that, but I had a wonderful result with the white bond also. If you follow my posts, you'll see I complain a little bit about its dry time, but that wasn't that the pre-made stuff took longer to dry than the general finishes uh, pre-mixed product. It was just that I was seriously out of time on this project and needed something that dried instantly, and it did. Uh, so that's my only complaint about it is that it's not dry the second you finish. But that said, it was easy to mix, just as easy to apply as anything else, and the finish came out beautifully. So um, I'm very happy with mixing the Minwax Poly with, uh, with a low-odor mineral spirit that I get at uh, either the big box store or my local hardware store. I've uh, had no, no issue with either of them. So hopefully that perpetuates this discussion of Poly. Just one more episode. Just uh, one minute and 20 seconds worth because we're not going to talk about it at all. But thanks for that, Diami. We appreciate it. <laughs> uh, next one here is from uh, Joe. Hey, guys. Uh, this is Joel LaViolette in Austin, and I've learned a ton from your show. I love it. I have a question. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Shannon was talking. You guys were talking about that uh, little box that the guy was wanting to have built, and Shannon recommended uh, Cipile instead of African mahogany. And my understanding was Cipile was an African mahogany. And lately I've been hearing people call Cipile and Kaya and uh, Sipo 
all African mahoganies, and I'm wondering if you guys can kind of clarify what is and is not an African mahogany, and is sipo and sipile, are they the same wood? All right, thanks, guys. Bye. All right, Shannon, can you very quickly demystify this for us a little bit? Whew, Joe, how much time you got? Yeah. <clears throat> um, first of all, uh, visit McIlvain.com, M-C-I-L-V-A-I-N. You will find product pages for African mahogany, uh, Sapili. I've actually never heard it referred to as Sapile, but that day hey, to each his own. Sounds better. And now. Sipo, or usually it's called Udali. Um, and you will find they are very distinct species. The problem is, and this is in any industry, there's the marketing world and then there's kind of the logistics side of things. Um, mahogany, uh, what we now call genuine mahogany, Honduran mahogany, South American mahogany. That's, that's the good stuff, right? That's the stuff everybody's like, Oh, it works great. It looks beautiful. Uh, no problem. Well, it's a heck of a lot harder to get. Uh, the grade has certainly started to slip a lot, and there's a lot of CITES embargo and regulations placed against it, not because the species is endangered, but we need to do this regulation so that it doesn't become endangered. So the price has gone up and the availability has gone way down. So everybody started scrambling to try to find an alternative for mahogany, and Africa was the place where they found it. And immediately we started finding these species like Kaya ivorensis, which is what we would call African mahogany, Kaya enthoteca, Kaya senegalensis. These are all species of African mahogany. And we started bringing that in. And it was kind of close, but it was a little bit harder to work. It was definitely pinker, not nearly as dense. So then we went looking for a denser species, and we came across something called sepile, uh, entophragma sepile. Uh, no, entandrophragma in, in, in cylindricum. Bless in you. case you really wanted to know. Um, entirely different species, entirely different genus from um, African mahogany and from genuine mahogany. Then we found Udali or Sipo, which is the same genus as Sipili, but a different species, and Tandrophragma Udali. Different wood altogether. Well, you know, you try selling Entandrophragma cylindricum or Entandrophragma utile, or try selling Sapili or utile on a market that knows redwoods as mahogany. So then the marketing <laughs> guys got involved and said, well, let's call it all mahogany. And it's not really a lie because they're in the mahogany family. So go way, way back to middle school science class, kingdom, phylum, order, family, genus, species, right? That's the, uh, the classification system. So species is 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 um ivorensis uh genus is is kaya well the family is melisae and melisae is the same family for genuine mahogany and all of the african mahoganies so now the marketing departments have grabbed onto this and said oh they're all mahoganies so let's call them african mahoganies and it's just not it's mis it's a misname it's a misnomer same thing as philippine mahogany which is an asian species so they're all at different species frankly Kaya, or what the market would call African mahogany, not an African mahogany, just the African mahogany. Um, it is probably the lowest grade, most difficult to work with. Anybody who complains about mahogany probably has used African mahogany. It's awful stuff. Sapili is really good stuff. Very, very dense, very, very dark, although it can be pretty dusty. It's often used in mahogany-type plywoods because it's got that perfect pinstripe quarter sawn look to it. Udali is almost identical to Sapili, but it's not quite the same wood. I actually find, I don't find, it is softer. It's easier to carve and a little bit easier to work with than Sapile. So the best way to refer to it, and most of the good dealers are going to know them as African mahogany, Sapili, 
and Udali, or sometimes Sipo, depending on really what part of the country you're in. Those are not genuine mahogany, nor are they actually even mahoganies. It's just the marketing departments that have called them that. So after all of that, sorry, that's as concise as I can get. Um, <laughs> visit, literally visit my employer, McIlvain.com. You will find all of this spelled out in great detail, articles that cross-reference them, and they are nice and clearly optimized to drop you down a fun sales funnel too. So um, be careful, you might <laughs> get stuck. Perfect. All right. Well, wow. sounds good. That's a lot of confusing stuff. Yes, it is. And, you know, we've only, we only make it worse, you know, because everybody wants it to be mahogany. So right. you will find lots of people saying, well, it's mahogany and it's not, you right. know, it's not even close most of the time. What a mess. Yeah, definitely. Uh, all right. So next one here is from Zach. He says, do you have any idea where one would find the reclaimed truck bed flooring talked about in, uh, I think it was the last episode, 286. Does anybody yeah. know? Have you even seen that available anywhere? Yeah, a trucking company. Yeah, so they just have like the old old pieces <laughs> laying around. I'm not I'm not trying to be a jerk there. Literally call like Conway or uh um Old Dominion Freight. Call any of these common carrier freight lines and just ask them. Um they they retire the stuff all the time. So, uh you may take a couple of transferring around a couple of places before you find somebody that can that can help you, but yeah, someone just, that someone that will answer your question. Someone someone that cares. <laughs> like basically. seriously, you really just want we're putting it in the garbage. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think you got the next one, Shannon. Oh, yeah. Look at that. This comes from Wilbur Pan. He says on Bob's question on wood species for his box on Wood Talk 286. This is when uh, Bob was looking for something easy to work, I think, is as he put it. Mm -hmm. I would also suggest he look into spalted boards, especially in lighter color woods like maple. They carry a striking visual impact over a small area. And in general, I found them easy to work with since another term for spalted board is rotting board. So, <laughs> very good. Uh, very good there, Wilbur. Good point. Uh, I also have to throw that Wilbur um, also offered his services as a guest host while Matt is out gallivanting around uh, in case we have any <laughs> Japanese tool questions. Um, cool. But he'd have to read them backwards if they were Japanese tools. Ha ha. That's <laughs> very funny. Yeah, it is. All right. You're up, David. All right. So Charles writes, regarding Shannon's pencil box grooves for the bottom and sliding lid, I'm pretty happy with the plugging the end grain on through the grooves. I'm happy because I decided to use ebony plugs instead of trying to match up same species offcuts. What a hassle that is, I could never quite match it. With ebony plugs, they look structural slash functional when they are not. Plus, I'll bore out a one-eighth inch hole in a quarter inch by quarter inch plug blank and filled that hole with a 1 inch dowel using a light-colored species. So the end grain of the plug is a black square with a light circle in it. I only use the doweled plug on a box as sort of a signature. The rest of the plugs are ebony with no dowel. The reason I'm happy is because I'm embracing the imperfection of a through groove and working with it to, to turn that imperfection into a design feature, and I feel more creative for doing so. Cool. Um, I I'm, I apologize for I haven't seen Shannon's pencil box, but um, <laughs> yeah, we just talked about it last episode. Ah, uh, okay. So, but I always feel that creativity comes from problem solving, and it's also one of those reasons that I think creativity can be taught. I hear so many times people say I'm not a creative person, and I always answer that with I don't think you're trying hard enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is, it does seem like something. It's a muscle that can be exercised to some to some extent at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a, it's cool. a cool idea. Uh, you know, that, that sort of accent within an accent idea is pretty neat. I remember uh, David Marks once showed me this technique he was using where he was doing these inlays, but he would then use like uh, copper tubing 
and turn it on an angle so it's sort of diamond shaped and he would put those inside of a, a circle so you basically just kind of i don't know exactly i think he used like a um uh like a chisel mortising thing you know so you get a nice square hole you pop the tube in and you fill the center with a colored epoxy so you've got like this three parts diamond sort of shape in there so mm-hmm. i like it when people think outside the box like that uh, and put an accent within an accent kind of a neat detail on the outside of a box yes that <laughs> uh right so we got a couple of uh, voicemails or do we have one two i think we have one yeah it's aj wants to know about routers versus shapers hey yo Guys, AJ DeSantis again from Cheshire, Connecticut. Uh, first off, I just wanted to say thank you to Shannon for the great advice about my first project. I'm definitely going to do a uh, small table of sorts with some nice, turned, segmented legs to it. Um, on to my question. Uh, quick, easy question. I don't know about easy, but definitely quick question. Something I don't think I've ever heard you guys talk about. I've been listening to many, many, many past episodes. So, uh word it like this router cable or shaper which is the way to go i can't wait to hear your guys response uh thank you very much baba booey baba booey to you as well sir baba booey uh so we did actually talk about this sort of uh back on hmm, episode 179 junk and match trunk and i just uh, wanted to say that title it was (laughs) it was a fortunate thing uh that 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 was the title um so the question that we answered then was is it necessary to have both and, it, you know, in answering that question, we probably also answered the router versus shaper uh, question, um, you know, that we're going to talk about here now. Um, there's also a Wood Talk Online forum post of that same title, actually, router tables versus shapers. So it, this is something where you want to get a lot of opinions out there because not every shaper is the same. Not every, you know, machine has the same capabilities in terms of what bits it takes and what you can do with it. Um, but in general, uh, maybe we'll just kind of each give an opinion on this. Um for me, it comes down to versatility. I think, and I think for most people, like we all generally will have a router, except for Shannon. He used to. He doesn't anymore. Um, I still have one. Oh, you I just haven't turned it on. It's just in a cabinet. It's the 1950 model. He turns cool. it on after he films the hand tool portion of his videos, yeah. <laughs> and then he gets the actual work done. Um, but yeah, so if you already have a router, it's a very small jump to go to a router table because you could take that same router, pop it in a table, and boom, ready to go. Uh, Shaper is just a, a whole nother dedicated tool that takes up more space and it's a little bit more of a jump you know you're it's coming with its own motor it's a cast iron top so you know it's a little bit more of a quantum leap than uh than just upgrading your router to a router table um and then the opposite way around you could take that router out of the table and do something with handheld operations you can't do that with a shaper so i think that's for most people for most shop woodworkers i think that's why they gravitate more toward the router table than the shaper now i'm I'm just curious and i know shannon you with plenty of experience with the tools and especially you probably have big machines at, uh, at your work. Um, yeah. curious if you guys think that the average shop, you know, I guess a small shop, you know, like ours should have a shaper instead of a router table. Can you make the other argument? I, I, I struggle with that argument. Um, I know, I remember talking to Chuck Bender about this a while ago cause he bought a shaper, mm-hmm. but he was also running a lot of like really ornate moldings. Yeah. Right. Um, you think period moldings and things really stacked with a lot of different pieces to it and shaper cutters. Um, I, I know you can buy like shaper cutters, like you would just a solid router bit, but usually shapers are stacked cutters mm-hmm. where you put the individual wings together and you tighten them down on the vertical spindle and you can create your profile and, you know, you can create six inch, eight inch <laughs> tall profiles. And that's really where they shine. And then once you get it set up running 
a bunch of stuff. You know, it's not run that three boards over because it took you 30 minutes to stack that cutter in the first place. <laughs> yeah. um, and that, I mean, that's how we use it at the yard. Right. right. Although it's funny because at the yard, the shaper is our small job tool. Um, when, when we only have a hundred feet to run, we, we put it through the shaper. Um, sure. but it, it's, it's, it's a huge machine. You know, it's like having another table saw sized machine in your shop. Um, but yeah, instead a lot of the of, arbor running horizontal, it's running vertical. Yeah, it's a lot of real estate. So David, do you have any shaper experience to speak of? I have no shaper experience. And from what I under, it really depends on what you want to make in your shop. Yeah. If you are doing a bunch of molding, you probably want a shaper, but most of us hobby woodworkers are not doing that. And you can you can get around that with combining, you know, crown molding with some cove molding and, and kind of stack it right. and do it at home. Yeah. And the, a router mounted in a router table is the scariest tool in my shop. And <laughs> and a shaper is just ten times that. And I hey, don't want to yeah. yeah, I don't want anything to do with any shapers ever. It is, yeah. the The prospect of working with it, I'm sure folks who have them all the time and like use them all the time would laugh at that. But I, I think we all share that fear of something in that format. Seems like it can very easily make a very um, fast, powerful missile in the shop. You know, <laughs> yeah. If, well, if I mean, the careful. fact that most of them come with power feeders and like power—that's yeah, telling um, you something. Anti kickback and all that stuff. You know, they're they're scary. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I think we can take a break here and talk about our sponsor, TableLegs.com. Let's face it, folks. Sometimes we could use a little help on our projects. Maybe it's a project part that requires a tool you don't have, or maybe you haven't gotten to the point that you're ready to tackle a new skill. Or perhaps it's just a matter of expedience and you need help meeting a deadline. Thankfully, there's a company that caters to your needs, TableLegs.com. They offer a wide variety of project parts and much more than just table legs. How about custom tabletops, columns, architectural components, finials, stair parts, and even 50-plus furniture feet from 4 inches to 12 inches high? And, of course, they have tons of legs in various turn styles. So don't let that one project part keep you from making your next masterpiece. You can get free shipping on your first order over $50 by typing in the code WOODTALK into the special instructions box on the online order form, or mention WOODTALK when you call to order. I know many of you don't have lathes, so you might look into their custom turnings in styles ranging from colonial to cabriole, mission style to mid-century modern. When you order online at tablelegs.com, your parts will be carefully grain and color matched, sanded smooth, and carefully boxed for safe rapid delivery to your door. And speaking of delivery, don't forget the free shipping offer on your first order over $50 using the code WOODTALK. All parts feature a 100% money-back guarantee. At TableLegs.com, you'll find plenty of free, helpful tips and drawings on the best practices for making furniture with their components. And 95% of what they sell is made in Vermont's Northeast Kingdom by their staff of 30. Check out TableLegs.com and remember to use that code WOODTALK for free shipping on your first order over $50. That's tablelegs.com. All right, let's move into our email. Got one here from Ben. He says, I recently bought a house that was built in 1910. The inside features wood floors, wood trim, and a wood staircase, all beautifully finished and maintained. I anticipate someday I'll have to make some repairs and perform general maintenance. My question is this, how do I determine what the present finish consists of so that I can replicate that finish in subsequent work? I have a bunch or a hunch that the wood trim, for example, was shellacked, uh, but was it clear or amber? Is there a good way of figuring out what the present finish is? All right, so this is very generic advice, and I've done this in the past. doesn't always work out in your favor, but 
you know, you try this first and see if it gives you any clues. Uh, generally speaking, some of these finishes will redissolve or reactivate if they're hit with a certain chemical. So if it was shellac, there's a good chance that if you take a rag with some denatured alcohol, going up to an area that no one's really going to see and give it a little rub down, see if you can actually remove the finish and get some finish onto the rag itself. If it does, then there's a good chance you've got shellac. Um, now, same thing with lacquer. A lot of times if it were a lacquer, you could use some lacquer thinners, probably not lacquer, but lacquer thinners should with some lacquers, not all of them, uh, will reactivate it as well, just like the alcohol does with shellac. Um, and of course, if it's a oil-based kind of polyurethane product, it's pro- nothing's going to happen to it. If you hit it with lacquer thinner or denatured alcohol, it might cloud up a little bit, um, but it's probably not going to remove anything. Um, so you kind of use that as your criteria to, to rule some things out. And this way you can get as close as you can. Now, if it turns out to be shellac, how do you know if it was amber or, or, you know, blonde? You don't, I don't think you're going to know. Plus it's an old house. So this stuff has aged. So what you might see as color might actually just be an aged property of something that was clear that now is amber because that's the way that it aged and the wood underneath it aged. So use uh, some of those liquids to see if you could figure out what's on the surface. And then I think your best bet is to do your best to try to replicate it on a, a piece of wood that you have in the shop. You know, get something close, try to get it to the same basic color and hit it with a finish and just compare it. I mean, if you can't perfect it in the shop, then don't do it on the stuff in the house. Wait until you get it right and uh, then you can move forward with it. Uh, I've done this on a couple old projects, um, you know, just to kind of determine what it is and, and to see if I can get, get it exactly to the same place. And that usually at least puts me in the right direction. You know, if I know that it's a polyurethane, then I know what I'm up against. Yeah. And worse comes worse, just turn down the lights and you won't be able to tell the difference. That's right. That's what I do. <laughs> it's always good. Rely upon shadow. <laughs> All right. This next one comes from David. He says, hey, guys, love the show and have listened to almost every show. I'm looking to make one of my first furniture projects. This project is to build a bench to go in front of my indoor fireplace. I love to sit right in front of a nice wood fire. I'm still working on the design and wood choice, but one thing I'm having trouble with is fire resistance. I don't want my new project to go up in smoke after a spark hits it. Also, I don't want a finish that would melt away with a warm fire next to it. Right now, I would like to finish the wood and not just paint it, Uh, but I don't have a spray gun, so I will probably have to apply by hand. Uh, Also, since it's next to the fireplace, there'll be high temperatures and the occasional spark. Any suggestions for a good wood for furniture next to a fireplace? Uh, So basically, we're talking from the ground up, wood and finish to make sure that he doesn't burn down his house or destroy his, uh, his project. So... You know, David, there are, at least in the kind of the fine furniture world, you're not going to really find a lot of fire retardant finishes. Um, You're going to, most of these stuff once cured is going to be, you know, okay to the occasional spark or whatever. It's the heat, I think, that's going to be more of an issue. Um, Some of the, I don't want to necessarily call them weaker finishes, but, um, well... Yeah. I mean, polyurethane is pretty dang strong, right? Shellac is weaker than polyurethane. So I'm going to call it a weaker finish. Shellac or sometimes lacquer and things, they can get kind of cloudy and they can change colors as they bake essentially in the high heat. Polyurethane will still do the same thing, but I think it's going to stand up a lot longer than some of the other ones. 
the, the fact of the matter is if you truly want it to be fire retardant, there are such finishes out there. Um, I actually talked to a client of mine who builds wooden homes and log homes and things like that. And by code, they have to apply fire retardant finishes onto the natural wood. So there are, there are aerosols and paint on type things. You can just Google fire retardant finishes. I don't know what they cost, but it's pretty, probably a guarantee they're expensive. Um, and I, you know, but I feel like that might be a little overkill because here's the thing. This is a movable piece of furniture, right? So you plop it in front of the fireplace while you got the fire there and you sit on it and you enjoy yourself. If you get up to the go to the kitchen, maybe just move it a little bit away from the fire when you do. You know, um, when you're making the fire, you're probably going to have to move the bench out of the way just to get there and get the thing started anyway. So, you know, it's it's one of those things where just be conscious of it and a little preventative and don't you know, leave it for long periods of time sitting on the hearth. Now, at the same time, I have several wooden projects that I've made, candle holders and things like that, that actually sit on my brick hearth directly in front of the fireplace, just outside the the screen that keeps the, you know, cinders and stuff in there. And those are covered in lacquer and they're perfectly fine. <laughs> like no checking, no cracking, no discoloration or anything like that. And they are, you know, a heck of a lot closer to the fire than like a bench would be. So, you know, I, I think you might be okay. Um, as far as wood goes, the biggest issue you have to worry about, obviously, is fire. It's, it's really hot. It's going to dry things out. So you could end up with some checking or movement unless your wood is already bone dry to begin with. So once you have like put it together and you've, you've got it to the point where you may be ready to glue it up, um, take it and set it in front of the fire for a couple of hours um, and let it really dry itself out. Again, watch it. Don't walk away from it. Don't leave the open fire and just leave it there sitting. It's just common sense. But it will kind of suck all that moisture out and then apply the finish. The finish is going to slow the reabsorption of moisture and you should be a lot better off. Um, A lot of chair makers will do this like on purpose. I don't use a fire, but like stick it in a hot box with light bulbs in order to shrink up tenons and then stick it into a wetter wood so that it expands and locks the tenon together. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a one good way to go. As far as the species, I think you're okay because the finish, again, is going to help protect some of that. But if you really want to be certain, get something like Ipe that already has a Class A fire rating or an exotic wood that's full of resins and oils that you know, it will burn, but you've got to get it really, really hot before it burns. For instance, I grabbed a piece of sapile from the dumpster, tried to burn that, and it didn't burn. Nice. <laughs> when it finally did catch fire, I had to leave the room because the fire was so hot. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like um, Doc Brown's like time logs in Back to the Future 3 that make the boiler burn. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went another a, direction there, but so. I, I actually found a website called fireretardantinc.com or retardantsinc.com and they list a bunch of resources for interior and exterior. Um, they call them burn barrier solvent finish, uh, let's see, latex paint, and then there's a clear varnish system. Um, so this yeah. is something I have no experience with at all, but it looks like there are resources out there that you could at least, you know, stack the cards in your favor with a nice fire resistant uh, finish like that. Sure. Pretty cool. All right, and finally, Zach writes, I bought a bandsaw for the first time, a Raycon 10305. I don't have any experience with a bandsaw, but I've watched several videos and read the manual and such many times. Who reads the manuals? What's a manual? <laughs> right. What's a I've bandsaw? Also- <laughs> <laughs> I also set up the saw correctly as far as I can tell. My question is, is a bandsaw supposed to give glue line cuts or is it, imp- or is it more of a roughing out saw? I have run a few test cuts in pine and oak, and it just doesn't cut straight. 
What should I expect from the machine, and is it performing as designed or not? Well, usually you're not going to get glue-ready cuts on the bandsaw. Many times I'm using the bandsaw to cut curves, and you ha- you're going to have to sand it anyway. Um, when I am cutting straight lines, it's usually for something like a tapered leg that I could then sand down or take a plane to. Um, there are some blades that will give you a cleaner cut more than others, like uh, like a Resaw King blade. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But um, but for the most part, just know that you're going you're going to have to work the wood after you cut it on the bandsaw. And as far as it not cutting straight, that could be a number of things. One, it might not be centered on the tires correctly. Um, two, it, it's, it, there's possibility that you have too many teeth per inch, and so if you're cutting thick boards, the teeth cannot remove the waste in time, which causes it to clog up and you'll get burning, and it won't. It's hard to follow a straight line. Mm. And three, uh, a dull blade. But you said it's a brand new bandsaw, but the factories don't always put on the best blades for the job. So check to make sure your your blade is centered on the tires and make sure you're not, you don't have too many teeth per inch. I like using a 4 TPI blade. Yeah, that's that. Uh, I'm trying to remember exactly what mine is. Usually three or four. Just I like a little bit more of an aggressive cut, and I like to be able to clear all the crap out from the gullets, make sure there's enough room for the the dust to go. Um, makes a pretty efficient cut. But that's it's interesting because I often wonder when we make these videos about this stuff, you don't always see the detail as much as you think you might. You know, even with HD, sometimes someone will make a cut at the bandsaw, and you can imagine maybe a new woodworker looking at that, going, "Oh, look at that smooth cut." And because you maybe didn't call attention to the fact that it was rough and needed to be smoothed afterwards, there might be this expectation that it's actually glass smooth. When I mean, I've the closest I've seen to that is the Resol King Laguna's uh, their blades. They have, I would say, a table saw quality cut for the most part. Yeah, but even it's then, impressive when, they, when you see it for the first time, you're like, damn. Yeah, and it doesn't <laughs> stay that way. You know, if the saw is even slightly out of calibration, you know, you'll get a little vibration there. It won't be perfect, but it'll be pretty, pretty darn good. But I still would not call that a glue ready surface, even with that really expensive bandsaw blade. Yeah. Just very There's a lot of people that say a table saw won't give you a glue ready surface. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, I guess it depends on, depends on the blade, but most times <laughs> even just the, the feed rate as you're pushing it through with a good sharp blade, uh, can still give you little ridges and lines as you're pushing it through. So depends mm-hmm. on how drunk you are. Right, David. that is why i'm changing my name (laughs) (laughs) i knew that would be a problem at some point so here so let's let's talk a little bit about david since we're at the end of the show it's a a good time to do it so first of all thank you for being on the show david we appreciate it um so drunken woodworker is where you started and now i imagine with a lot of the services the things you use you've built a following on that name so even Mm. if you want to detach from it are you still gotta you gotta be sort of locked into it to some extent, like your YouTube channel, uh, for instance, is Drunken Woodworker still, right? No. Well, the URL, the URL. Yeah, the URL. There's two URLs. Okay. It's going through a change right now. It's going to be youtube.com slash make something TV. Okay. And that that URL actually works, but then it just redirects you to slash Drunken Woodworker. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it was a heck of a time getting that redirect because you have to actually talk to a person at YouTube oh, or people, Google. People work there? Yeah. And so they set up the redirect, but now they need to make it a permanent thing. Gotcha. And my website, you can go to makesomething.tv, and that redirects you to drunkenwoodworker.com. And I got to change that over, but 
I don't want to get real technical, but there's a lot of 301 redirects that need to be made. I don't want to lose my place in the search engines, yeah. and I got to get a new SSL certificate for the new server and everything. It's so it's it's a mess. It's a this whole rebranding thing is kind of a nightmare. I used to work for an ad agency, yeah. and I've gone through rebrandings before. It's not easy and it's not fun. But <laughs> so yeah, the Drunken Woodworker started off as a joke. I didn't know that it was going to become a career, and yeah. then I didn't know that. High school classes were going to make my boxes as a class project, <laughs> and I'm getting emails from kids. And so finally, I'm like, okay, I got to change it from Drunken Woodworker to something else. And yeah. so now my channel is called Make Something. Um, some people didn't like it. Some I, I, to be to be clear, I've never had a drink and then woodworked. <laughs> um, I've I've gotten some nasty emails saying you're you're teaching people the wrong thing and you're an idiot and. Yeah. I might be an idiot, but uh, but I'm pretty safe. <laughs> you might be yeah, right on one of those, those emails after you change your name anyway, so don't really yeah, worry yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. All right, very cool. So, hey, the other thing is we did mention the podcast that you do, Making It. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So it's there's three of us. There's myself, Jimmy DeResta, and Bob Claggett from I Like to Make Stuff. Mm-hmm. Every Friday we put out a new episode, and it's kind of like – um, a behind the scenes of what goes on, uh, the mental game of making things. It's not a woodworking podcast. It's just like a making podcast in general. Right. Getting over mental hurdles, um, where creativity comes from, stuff like that. Um, how we, how our individual channels run. There's some inside baseball stuff, but uh, it's it's real fun. It's it's been growing really fast, and it's it's fun. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, it's a fun format. I enjoy listening to it. Um, all right. Well, anything else you want to promote or let people know about before we head out of here? Well, once again, I just put out a book called The New Bandsaw Box Book, and there will be an Amazon link, I believe, in the in the show notes. Yes, we will definitely put that there with awesome. my with my affiliate code attached. Of, of course, right? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Very good. Uh, thanks again, David, for coming on the show. And Shannon, you want to do the contact info and we'll get out of here. Sure. If you guys have comments, questions, or topic suggestions, you have several ways you can contact us. First, you can leave a voicemail on Skype. Our username is WoodTalkOnline. Call our voicemail line, please, at 623-242-5180. Could I have read that any faster? No. Nope. Did you get that? Uh, or you can use our fancy contact form at woodtalkshow.com slash contact. And we've actually had quite a few people using that this week. That's It's very cool. Kudos to Mark to creating that because it's all automated and means we have to work even less than we do now. It also means (laughs) that we most likely won't be answering emails directly like the way we used to (laughs) because it's now just being spit out into a form. So, yeah, if you do, uh, we say it on the page. We kind of give you a warning about it. Uh, If you do submit a comment or question there, it is likely to not be answered directly via email, but you're getting a chance to get it answered on the show. And that's kind of the way we have to do it at this point. We just we, we do get a lot of emails and it's very uh, difficult to keep up with all of them and then get some of them onto the show. So doesn't mean we don't love you. It just means we won't read your mail. Yes, <laughs> but we do. Love you. All right. Well, uh, if you are looking for show notes from today's show or download of today's show, you can find them at woodtalkshow.com. Sweet. That's all, folks. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time. See you later. Bye. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.